this morning, but I do want to come over and um, drop down to verse number 34 and finish uh, the chapter out. And when they were gone over, he told them to go over in verse number 22. The Bible said in verse 34, when they were gone over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Uh, no, no, I'll just shout if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a church of God. I'll do it if you want to. When the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all over the seas and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly low. Father, again, we love you. Bless you for the privilege to be in church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. We sure need you. Uh, right now, we need you this week. Lord Jesus, I pray that you help us clear our mind and make us understandable. And I pray, God, tonight that you please do that eternal work that only you can accomplish. <laughs> Glory of God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Help us now. Use us for your glory. We'll thank you for all that you accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. This morning we dealt with the process of getting from here to there. Tonight, where our thought is the same thing, but this morning we dealt with the sailing experience of these disciples as Jesus told them to go to the other side. There is a place that God wanted them to go. And sometimes things change in our lives. The will of God can sometimes change for a person's life and direction. God has you in. can be for a moment or it can be for a lifetime. And we need to be careful to know, as it was said this morning, to listen, to know that still small voice. That's right. And to discern what God's will is. And he is sending them now to the other side of the sea. And then the Bible said in verse 34, they were gone over. They came to the land of this. They got where he wanted them to go. Now, I noticed as I read the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and the life of his men, these disciples, I noticed that they got to experience some things with Jesus in his earthly ministry that a lot of other people never did. So it makes me ask the question as to why that they got to experience a certain element of him and his ministry that nobody else did. There's three quick things I think I would... Uh, throw action just see if you'd agree with me. Well, number one, I believe they got to experience Christ like nobody else, first of all, because they were chosen of Him. Yeah. Now, don't let that word scare you. Five people say amen. The rest yeah. are trying to figure out what I'm talking That's about. Really? Because there's been such a resurgence of Calvinism in our brains. And I would say to you and hope that you know me well enough to know that I'm not speaking of Calvinism. That's right. I just want you to know it's good to be chosen by Say, who are the chosen? The chosen are the whosoever wills and the chosen the whosoever wants. If you want to be chosen, you are chosen tonight. He died for the entire world. He loves the world. If you're a sinner in here tonight, I want you to know that you are part of that crowd that he chose saved by his grace if you're willing to receive him. Uh, but I'm just glad that he passed by me. You know, he passed by these men. He passed by and just say, come and follow me. And they folded up everything they had. They folded up their career. They folded up their life. Uh, they said goodbye to their families and loved ones and they followed after the Lord. Let me just say, this is the best life. I don't know about some of these guys that want to be in the ministry but do ten other things. That's all the ministry's not enough and living for Christ is not enough. I'm glad just to be chosen of 
again to be part of the family of God, to live for God, to be part of this thing called Christianity. And so I believe they got to experience with him uh, these things because they were chosen. Then secondly, I believe they experienced a little more of Christ and a little closer to Christ because they stayed close to him. Not only were they chosen of him, but they stayed close to him. Now friend, you can expect for God to be able to bless your life and it to be overflowing with the blessings of God and the spirit-filled life if you're not willing to stay close to him. There's a whole lot of people, they want their cake and eat it too. I mean, they want to live for God. They say, I mean, they go to church and they say they want to go to heaven when they die. They claim to be saved, but they want to live carnal and they want to live fleshly and live like the world. In other words, they want to have the best of the world but steal the best of the things of God. And can I just say to you, it does not work that way. If you want one of the other, sell out to one of the other. But I'm telling you, if you'll stay close to God 27 years ago when I walked an aisle and accepted Him, I had no idea what I was getting into. But time and again, I've made my way down that same aisle, bowed to the same altar and said, Dear God, I want you to have more of me than you've ever had. I surrender again. And I've surrendered again and again and again. Why? Because there's something special about staying close to Him. Sleep where He's at. Eat where He's at. Go where He goes. I mean, just follow as close to God as you possibly can get and stay there. You'll experience things that others that follow afar off will never experience. Number three, I believe they got to experience some of these things of Jesus because they were chosen of Him. Secondly, they stayed close to Him. And then number three, I believe they experienced these things because they were willing to be characterized like Him. Characterized like Him. The word Christian, the Bible said in Acts 11 verse 26 that it came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves together with the church and told much people and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That word Christian you know means to simply be Christ-like. And there's a whole lot of people, again, they want to be saved and go to heaven when they die. They don't mind going to church, but they do not want to be identified with Bible Baptist Church. They don't want to be identified with the Spring Jubilee. They don't want to be identified. They might want to be, you know, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I mean I'm saved. I go to church. But the old time religion now, they don't want that tag and they don't want that separation tag and they, they don't want some of the tags that come along with being chosen of Him and being close to Him. But can I say I've come too far to turn back now. I've done been tagged a long time ago. I got over all that stuff anyway. You say, well, preacher, ain't you afraid? No, I'm not afraid of what they'll say. They've been saying it before I came along. They'll be saying it when I'm dead and gone. I just want to serve notice on them and the devil. It's still the best life. It's still the best way. It's still the best plan. It's still the best book. We sing the best songs, have the best people. I say hallelujah, friend. Don't worry about being characterized. Amen. I want to preach for a few minutes tonight. We looked this morning at their sailing experience. Tonight I want to look at their supernatural experience. Don't let that word supernatural scare you either. I know we're living in a day where it's become a popular thing to to uh, kind of dabble into the supernatural world. And when I say that, most of these, a lot of popular shows have come along and they, can I just say this to you, they're not, they're not chasing ghosts, they're chasing demons. And you better be careful with all that, but I want you to know, friend, there is a supernatural world. And I, 
basically want to concentrate on five or six miracles that are mentioned here as heaven gets involved in this situation with these disciples. And basically by definition, a miracle is this, a surpass or surprising and welcome event that is not explainable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. In other words, heaven has to get involved to make it happen. And ladies and gentlemen, if you and I are going to get from here to there, from today to tomorrow, from Bible, from the Jubilee this year to Jubilee in 2023, and for you and I to get from here to heaven, we're going to need heaven to get involved in some supernatural ways in our life from time to time where we can't, heaven can. Where man can't, heaven can. Where nobody else can, we're going to need heaven to do something supernatural natural that you and I cannot do. I want you to notice, I want to couple two miracles together and one show you five of them very quickly and I'll be done. Number one, I'm talking now about the supernatural experience in getting from here to there. First of all, I want you to notice what I call the stepping miracle in their life. The Bible said in verse number 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Then look with me in verse number 27. The Bible said, Jesus Jesus spake, said, It is I be of good cheer, as I be not afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter has come down out of the ship, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Two things. I couple these miracles together. First of all, as, it, as this stepping miracle relates to Jesus, I would say to you that it proves to you and I that Jesus can get to you no matter where you are in life. He can get to you no matter where you are in life. I want you to understand something, friend. He's never seen a sea. He couldn't walk on a mountain. He couldn't conquer and climb. He's never, listen, everything is beneath him and below him and submitted to him. And I want you to know tonight, this proves to you and me that no matter where we are, no matter how deep the valley, how tall the mountain, how black the night, that Jesus can get to you and me. Let me remind you, he's on solid ground. He's fellowshipping with his father. He's over there on a mountain while the disciples are in the midst of this sea. But I want you to know he knows exactly where they are, exactly what they're going through. And in a moment's trouble, in the fourth watch of the night, he is walking to them on that water like I'm walking on this platform tonight, like it's solid ground. Honey, I want you to know tonight no matter where you are, Jesus is able to get to you. The devil will try to convince you he can't. Your mind will tell you that it's over. This is it. It's finally come. But I'm telling you time and again in 27 years he's walked out there sometimes because of my stupidity and sometimes because of my own sin and sometimes because the storms of life have blown me what seems to be miles away from him but yet he's been faithful over and over to prove to me that no matter where I find myself in this life he is able to get to me. As it relates to Jesus. Number two, as this stepping miracle, as it relates to Peter, it proves that our faith in Christ always puts us on solid ground. Amen. Our faith in Christ always puts us on solid ground. I mentioned to you this morning that it's debated whether Peter uh, should have got out of the boat or stayed in the boat, but I say to you that Jesus did say, come. 
And Peter is now doing what no other man in this world has ever done. He's walking on water. Now I'm not talking about foolishness, but when it comes to faith, the Bible said the just shall live by faith. And if we're going to please him, we're going to have to have faith in him. And if you're going to, listen, if you're going to live through some deep areas of your life, you're going to have to trust God when it seems like you cannot, when it seems like there's no answer, and it seems like heaven has become as brass, and it seems like there's no way out. And I just say to you, our faith puts us on solid ground. No matter how deep the waters of life, how shaky it may be, how raging the storm may be in our life, our faith puts us on solid ground every time. I know many of you know the great author Alexander McLaren and I was reading the other day, he was, uh, was or a man was talking about hearing him preach and he was giving an illustration. He said uh, when Alexander was about 16 years old, he took his first job and that job was taking him away from his home four days or five days a week and uh, his dad had walked him to the job on his, in his first day on Monday and he told him, he said, now Alexander, he said, when you get ready to come home, he said, when the work day is over on Friday, he said, I want you to make a beeline for home. And he said, yes, dad. He said, whatever you want. But in the back of his mind, he remembered that coming through there, there was this deep ravine that they had to cross together. And he, as a kid, had heard all of his life how that ravine was haunted and cursed. And he knew that his daddy had walked him to the job. But on Friday night, he was going to have to walk home by himself in the dark from that job. And he said all week long he dreaded it. The closer Friday came, the more knots were in his stomach and nervous he became. And he said Friday, he said they let him go and paid him their wages. And he said, man, he said he almost got sick thinking about having to travel home all by himself in that deep ravine. He said finally he came to that place and he had dreaded for so long all week he had thought about it. He said he walked to the edge of that ravine and he thought for a moment and as he about, was just about to get sick, he said a tear began to trickle down both sides and it's a 16 year old and he said man I did not want to go in there and he said I just about turned to run he said all of a sudden I heard footsteps down in that ravine and something coming he said I didn't know what it was It would be, he said I didn't know if it was an animal I didn't know what was in there he said I thought the place was haunted he said but in just a minute I stood still long enough he said it sounded like I could recognize the foot the footsteps coming sounded like uh, I mean it seemed like something was familiar about it and he said in just just a moment as I turned to run away he said it seemed like I recognized the stature or the shadow uh, that was attached to the person that was walking up through there he said in just a moment out of that dark valley he said there stood my dad he said he had come up there to meet me he said he, uh, he had to know I was scared he had to see the tears on my face he had to know he said but he never brought it up he never mentioned it one time he said son I've been waiting all week long to see you it's been a long week. I thought I'd just come over here and meet you on the journey. And I say in life sometimes there's a lot of deep places I've never wanted to cross and I dread it at all. I dreaded it. But every single time, honey, he has walked to that place with me and he has met me there and he has lifted me out and he has helped me through. Thank God for a heavenly father who knows where you are. He's able to get there and your faith always puts you on solid ground. Number two, 
Not only this stepping miracle, but I want you to see what I call the saving miracle. Look, verse 30. But when he saw Peter, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, Oh, thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Not only the stepping miracle here in getting from here to there, but there's this saving miracle. Saving miracle. Now I mentioned to you this morning, and I'll mention it again because... Friend, Jesus didn't just save your soul when He saved you, but He saved your life. And you can only be saved one time. Your soul can only be saved, rescued one time. But Brother Teddy, in 27 years, I say to you that over and over again, He has saved my life and saved my life and saved my life. I look around tonight, I've still got family and I've got friends. We drove to Dalton this afternoon to eat lunch because everything in Fort Oglethorpe was backed out the door. And so we drove to Dalton and I got down there and man, the memories started to flood my mind and flood my heart as Brother Morgan was saying this morning. No, that old stomping ground and I got to think thinking about friends and family who strung out on drugs and I can think about two or three graveyards over there between Dalton and Chatsworth where several of them are planted right now and I can think about not only did God save my soul but oh how he saved my life and he saved my mind and my body what a God I say to you I see us hey getting from here to there you're going to need Jesus to step into some things from time to time but there's going to be some times honey you're going to need him to save you and lift you up and lift you out. Let me say this in a hurry. Number one, I say to you, he saved Peter in a moment. The Bible said immediately he didn't sit and try to give him a, a, a pep talk and try to talk to him. No, no, no. I'll tell you what he did. In a moment, he reached over and he picked him up. He didn't listen. I'm telling you, thank God. Jesus knows when you messed up and he knows you know when you messed up. But thank God if you'll just call on him. He's waiting in a moment. He say, how close am I to get right with God honey you're one breath away you don't even have to make it to the altar tonight if right where you're sitting you'll do business with God in your heart you're just a moment immediately away from doing business with God in a moment he saved him I would say to you he also saved Peter not only in a moment but he saved Peter in mercy he didn't have to save Peter. Amen. I wish some of y'all helped me. Lunch is still sitting on me real heavy. And I really beg the preacher not to preach me first tonight because I feel like I'm going to die. But I just want you to know he does not have to save. He saves in his mercy. He didn't have to pick him up. It was Peter's lack of faith. It was Peter's fear. Jesus has never failed. And if he saves you tonight, it will only be by his mercy he saved you mercy he saved him in a moment he saved him in mercy number three he saved Peter more than once he saved Peter more than once I mentioned he saved his soul but he also saved his life but this ain't the only time and if you follow the apostle Peter's life you watch him over and over again you find him ain't you glad aren't you glad tonight that Jesus doesn't give up. Man, a lot of us, we give somebody one opportunity, maybe two, and if they cross us again, we're done. We're finished. But the Lord, time and again, with the same thing, Lord, save me. Lord, so Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, would you save me again? God, I've done it again. Would you? Oh, 
Lord, I'm sinking again. And every single time I say to you, he saved him in a moment, he saved him in mercy, but he saved him more than once. I want you to know that the things that may sink you and me in this life, they have no power to sink him, honey. He came walking to Peter on the very water. He was still standing on the very water that was sinking Peter. And what may cause you and I to sink will never cause him to sink. He saved him more than once. I was thinking about A.J. Cronin. He gave this illustration. He, he, um, he, he talked about a time where he got his doctorate degree and he said as soon as he graduated medical school, he, 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 he talked about his first assignment and where they had put him and he said his, uh, his first operation was going to be a trichotomy. Did I say that right? Somebody tell me. And uh, he said, it, man, he was nervous and and he didn't know how it was going to go, and it was a bad situation. It was on a 15-year-old girl. And he said he got in there, cut an cut a airway open, and she began to breathe, and life came back into her body. And they did the surgery. Everything went well. It's, I mean, as good as it possibly could have gone. And wrestled through the night with all of that, and as he got her stable, he had a trach in. And he told the young nurse, who was only 19 years old at the time, she had just graduated as well, he said, look, he said, I need to go rest. He said, do you think that there's any way you could take a couple of hours and just stay with her so I can get some rest and I'll come back and check on her? And she said, yes, sure. And he said, now remember, he said, somewhere probably that, that trach is going to clog up. And he said, when it does, you're going to have to remove it, unclog it and get it back in there in a hurry, but you're going to have enough time to come get me. He said, just remember to do that before you, before you come get me. She said, yes, sir. Well, sure enough, within that two-hour period, as, as the doctor went to sleep, she, uh, she noticed that the tray, it did clog up. But in, in that moment where she should have done what she had been taught to do, she got nervous. Fear gripped her heart. She froze up. And instead of removing that trach and cleaning it out and putting it back in, she ran down the hall to get the doctor who she had confidence in. But by the time they could get back for him to clean it out and put that trach back in, that 15-year-old girl whose life he just saved had died. He was so mad. He scolded her for the next 20 minutes. He told her everything she did wrong. I mean, he laid, I mean, he laid her out. He said, tomorrow morning we'll deal with this even further. When the morning came, he called her into his office and he said, now listen, here's what you've done. Do you realize uh, what has happened? And she's sitting there with her head down. He again scolds her and, and reprimands her. And he said, I've drawn up a letter. And inside of, in, in this letter, he said, I have asked the board and I've told the board why you should never be able to practice medicine you should never be a nurse ever again and he began and after he got through scolding her and reprimanding her as he as he began to hush she looked up and tears flowing down her face she said doc she said please just give me one more chance please give me one more chance and he said somewhere he said I do not know why he said I was so mad he said but somewhere in the corridors of my heart in that moment there was a tenderness there when she said please give me one more chance he said, I turned and looked at her and he said, I tell you what I'll do. I'll think about it through the night. He said, I went home and began to think about what she said and all night long, those words, give me one more chance. He said, Brother Barnes, he said, I couldn't sleep at night. He said, I tossed, I turned and those words ringing, give me one more chance. Just give me one more chance. He said, in the middle of the night, the Lord seemed to speak to my heart. He said, I, he said, Lord, I'm so sorry. He said, I can remember there was a day when I had to turn to you and ask you to give me one more chance and you've never failed 
help me. He said the next day he went in and he told her, I'm going to give you one more chance. He said, I'm sure glad I did. He said, because that young lady is now the director over the largest children's hospital in Great Britain and she's done an amazing work because somebody was willing to give her one more chance. Can I say to you, friend, I've needed more than one, but I'm glad there's a God in heaven who's been willing time and again when I said, Lord, would you just give me one more chance? Just let me preach one more time. Let me go one more time. And hallelujah for the one who's been willing in all my failures to give me one more chance. Save me. The stepping miracle, the saving miracle. If you're going to get to the other side, if you're going to get from here to there, you're going to also need what I call a stopping miracle. A stopping miracle. Verse 32, look with me. The Bible said, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. I won't labor this. I just want to say to you that Jesus may not always stop the storm around you, but he always has a way of being able to calm or stop the storm within you. You see, there is something you and I have as a child of God that this world knows nothing about. It's called peace. It's called an inner joy. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about a joy that comes from within that only the Lord can give. It's amazing. You watch real Christians. They can be going through the darkest hour of their life. They can be seemingly sinking in the deepest sea. They can be uh, on that sea of life and it seems like with no way out. And they've just got all this joy. That's in you. you wonder, where does it come from? Peace that passeth all understanding. It comes from the Lord. It comes from knowing Him. The world has no idea. They don't understand. They scratch their head and they wonder why. They wonder how. But I tell you tonight, there is a stopping miracle in the text. Sometimes He does stop the storm. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. Many times as a child of God, He intends on taking you through that storm. And He may not stop the storm every time, but He can stop the raging on the inside. Right. What's going on in the mind on the inside. He's got a way of calming you and me. To where I mentioned to you this morning that John said immediately they had arrived at the shore. And I, again, I say to you that if you, look at the, if you look at Matthew and Mark and John's gospel, I don't know exactly what happened right in there, but I just believe that once Jesus got on the ship, that storm became nothing to them. And it seemed as though immediately they were on the other shore. Why? Because the focus was on Him and not on the storm. There's the stopping miracle. If you're going to get from here to there, you're also going to need what I call the soothing miracle. Look at verse 34. And when they were gone over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Two things here. Number one, I, see to you, I say to you that the soothing, I see the soothing miracle of their mind. The soothing miracle of the mind, verse 26 and 27. Uh, again, this morning I mentioned it, but they thought that Jesus, they said in verse 26, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. You need to always remember your mind's the devil's biggest playground. And if you're not careful, friend, he'll have you convinced of things that are so far from the truth, and you're trying to wrap your mind around it. But I'm telling you, there is the soothing miracle here in the text of their mind. But secondly, in these verses that I just read to you, there's the soothing miracle among the multitudes. The Bible said that they brought him, uh, that they brought all, brought into all that country, all unto him, all that were diseased, all that were diseased. There's the soothing miracle among the multitudes. I'm glad tonight that no matter what our need is, sitting in this auditorium, and, in, and all we're going to do is expand all week long, and more people's coming in. 
Aren't you glad to know that there is a God in heaven that at that, that same moment he's able to minister to these young ladies on the front row. He's able to reach to the back row as well. And he's able to say one word to you that can soothe where you are in life. This soothing miracle. I close, I close with these three thoughts. Just to, How do you know? How do you know? Listen, I'm just thoroughly convinced if you're going to get from here to there, the supernatural is going to have to get involved in your life. There's going to have to be some mere, some unexplainable things along the way. Is going to have to t- so how do you know if God has worked a miracle in your life? Number one, God alone will be glorified by the results. When a miracle has truly been worked in your life, watch this. Verse 33, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. When God works a miracle in your life, He alone will be glorified. It's not God. You notice they didn't come and say, Man, Peter, I'm going to tell you something, man. That was some serious walking on water out there. I mean, you, I, I, quite frankly, we've never seen anybody do that. But if we were going to do it, we want to do it like you. Will you sign my Bible? I mean, they didn't, after, after they got back, it wasn't glorifying the Lord and then let's, uh, let's make some t-shirts up. And talk about how Jesus and Peter walked on the water together. They didn't start a conference, walking on the water conference. They didn't get their team together. That's right. They didn't get their team together and say, uh, we're going to start this conference, let's print up some shirts and some buttons. And they didn't get on social media and brag about what happened to everybody. No, they just came and fell down and said, hey, you're the one who, I mean, you're the one that you said you were. We believe who you, you are God. And I tell you, when God really works a miracle in your life, you're not worried about you. You're not worried about anybody else. You are wanting to focus on the one who is worthy. God alone will be glorified. When God's worked a miracle in your life, I say this to you, miracles lead to other miracles. Miracles lead to other miracles. Verse 30, and they brought, they might only touch the, the Bible said in verse 36, they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because in Matthew chapter number 9, the Bible said, Behold, a woman who was diseased, had a disease with the issue of blood 12 years, came behind him and touched what? The hem of his garment. First she said within herself, If I may touch his garment, I shall be whole. I'll tell you what a miracle does. A real miracle leads to another miracle. That's right. Somehow, some way, they had gotten word that some woman had just touched the hem of his garment and it was good enough for her. And if it was good enough for her, it'll be good enough for them. Ain't that what salvation's supposed to do? If it was good enough to change my life, if it was good enough to change your life, shouldn't we be out telling somebody? Shouldn't we be magnifying the one who did it? I mean, honey, listen, unless I'm wrong, uh, you straighten me out, but the miracle of all miracles is not blinded eyes seeing and deaf ears hearing. The miracle of all miracles is standing before you here tonight saved by the grace of God he picked me up put my feet on a solid rock hey being saved is still the greatest miracle known to man I say to you that miracles lead to other miracles and number three how to know if God's worked a miracle in your life when he's worked a miracle your faith in him will have been challenged and strengthened through the miracle. Your faith in Him will have been cha- will have been challenged and strengthened through that miracle. He said to Peter, 
O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now, if a couple of things have been different. I don't know how this story would have turned out. Obviously, it's not different. So it turned out the way it did. But the whole process of this is about their faith, period. Building their faith in Him. Them trusting Him. You know what God wants to do tonight? And you know what God wants to do in Jubilee this, this week? What He wants to help you with this week so for the rest of the year, our life is totally different. There may be a lot of sermons. There may be a lot of shouting. There may be a lot of good But in the end, when it's all said and done, we can boil it down to one thing. He wants to challenge and strengthen your faith in Him. He wants you and I to leave this meeting this week believing Him in a greater way than we have ever believed Him before. And if you let Him do a miracle in your life this week, He'll challenge your faith. He may challenge you to put some things on the altar, some things that nobody knows about, some things that He's been dealing with you about. Some things that he's been working in your heart over. He may have you come and surrender something. May, and surrender yourself. Surrender your heart. Surrender your life. Surrender some things to strengthen, to challenge your faith. But he's never going to challenge your faith without strength. He wants to strengthen. And I want to tell you something, friend. Take me to one place in this Bible and prove to me where you can trust him and he's ever done anybody wrong. That's right. Anybody wrong. So if you're going to get from here to there, you're going to need heaven to do a work sometimes in your life. You're going to need some, some miracle situations. Yes. And maybe tonight, maybe tonight, there's somebody here and you don't know how it's going to work out. Yep. And you don't know what you're going to do. And matter of fact, matter of fact, you're just kind of tired of doing it. I don't know how many people I've heard lately Make this statement. And, and it's not because they're not good people and they don't love God. I believe they do. They want to do right. But they've made this statement. Preacher, I was this close to me. The other night after you preached to me and I told you we had a great testimony service at church, several people stood up and, and several people talked about just, Brother Rick, trials and trouble yeah. and, and just trying to get from here to there. Some of you, your heart's broke over children, grandchildren. Some of you here tonight, you got burdens, you got cares, and it seems like it's it's bigger than the ship you're on, it's bigger than the sea you're sailing. It's, you don't know what you're gonna do. But if you're gonna get from here to there, you're gonna have to have heaven step in. Yes. Amen. From time to time. Yes, sir. And do so. A miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explainable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered a work of a divine. Why don't you let a divine agency step, you can play if you're good. Why don't you let a divine agency step in to your situation tonight and get you from here to there. Do something that you can't do that nobody, your preacher can't do, your spouse can't do, your parents can't do. If I've got a show of hands tonight and ask this question, who all wants, don't rate, but who all wants to get from here to there? I dare say every person in here would slip your hand up. But if you're going to, I've not been in this thing long, but I have been in it long enough to know this. If you're going to get there, somewhere along the journey, heaven's going to have to get heavily involved. 
in a miracle type way to bring you through. We're standing for just a moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd seal these thoughts. I pray, God, that you'd do something eternal with them. I pray you'd help your people tonight. Lord, maybe one heart, maybe one home, one marriage, one ministry, one man, one woman, one boy, one girl might fall on an altar tonight and say, Lord, please take me from here to there. Please get me through. That place you want me, that's where I want to be. Lord, I need heaven to get involved in my life tonight. I need a miracle to take me from here to there. I need you to do what I cannot do. Please help us tonight, Lord. God, please. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. You mind the Lord.